by finances, investing, estate and retirement planning? Well, I went to school so you don't have to. Welcome to Finances and with Kathy and Jennifer. Welcome to Finances and Bitcoin. I'm Jennifer and I'm here with Kathy. And this week we're going to be talking about cryptocurrency. So Kathy, is this something that you have invested in? I have not, actually. It's something that I guess I don't feel like I know enough about. And I generally follow the mantra of investing in what I know, looking at products around me and companies around me that I know. And I think in, like I say, in general, that's what how I buy my stocks. What about you? We actually do have some, some cryptocurrencies um, okay. stock. I can talk a little bit more about it as we get into the podcast today. Just kind of a history of money, I think, is kind of where I want to start with this. Money was printed by states. So if you think back to, say, the Civil War, you know, there were dollar, there were Virginia dollars or South Carolina dollars. And then eventually, once we became the United States, all currency was printed by the federal government. And so that is what we are currently using. It also used to be backed by gold. So in other words, the states would would honor paying those notes, which is what they called the money, with gold. And there's still a lot of economies that do use gold as their backing. But for the most part now, the US dollar is strong enough that that's actually become the standard worldwide when we're talking about how many dollars something is. It's it's basing it off the strength of the US dollar. Where cryptocurrency, which kind of popped up in 2009, there are no physical coins for this. It's, It's not something that you can hold on to and trade with someone else. There is a public ledger. We'll talk a little bit more about that, where anyone who chooses to log on could see this and it's verified, but it's very different than even credit like we use it today. Cryptocurrency is kept track of on a ledger system called blockchain. This is like a collection of blocks or transactions and they kind of build on top of each other. You have all these computers that can see the transactions live. The system can't be cheated in that way. To cheat the system, you would have to have 51% of all computing power would have to be hijacked, which would be around 47,000 computers. Not likely that it could be hijacked. Not easily, obviously. Again, we said it's not a legal tender and it's not backed like traditional currency by a government, but there are now hundreds of virtual cryptocurrencies like Bitcoin that are available, and they're called altcoins, which I'm assuming is alternative coins. These Bitcoin tokens are kept both public and private with keys, which would be a mixture of digits and letters, kind of like a pin code, and they are encrypted with mathematical codes. These are then published to the world, and now individuals can access their own Bitcoins with their private key, kind of like a pin, like I said. How does all that work? Essentially, you are your transactions are appearing on all computers that hold this information at the exact same time. Hence, the you'd have to be able to break into or hijack 51% of all these because when a transaction is made, it's checked across all the other computers. And as Jennifer said, 51% is about 50,000 computers. It's not exactly, but you know, it's close to that. So you couldn't just get in and say, well, I'm going to give myself this amount of money. It's going to, it's going to immediately check on the next computer. And as soon as that's not showing up on that one, it's, it's not going to allow it to happen. You would, as an owner, be able to keep your Bitcoins in a Bitcoin wallet. And this is not a physical wallet like we typically would have, but it's where you're going to keep track of your coin ownership. 
The problem with the Bitcoin wallets is that really is the weakest link in all of this computing that's going on. Those those wallets are where it seems like hackers find it easiest to get your private information and then be able to use it with what we already said was the public information for it. And so that's another thing to keep in mind is how you're keeping it in this wallet. Just a little vocabulary for you with Bitcoin. If you see Bitcoin capitalized, that's talking about the entire system of Bitcoin. But if you see Bitcoin lowercase, then that's talking about, you know, specific Bitcoin. So maybe like I own a certain number of Bitcoin or I invest in a certain number of Bitcoin. Okay. So if I said I have 30 Bitcoin, I'd be quite the well-off young lady right now. Have we mentioned yet how much one is worth? No, right now Bitcoin <laughs> is trading, well, as of the 28th, so a couple of days ago I checked, one Bitcoin is valued at $10,883. So we are talking about a lot of money for a Bitcoin. Mm-hmm. So how do we use Bitcoin? Miners, who are the people who process orders, can actually earn Bitcoin for their fees or they can be allowed to get new Bitcoins when they're released. Essentially, the way you get Bitcoins is by solving mathematical puzzles. Bitcoins are mined or released into circulation after solving incredibly challenging puzzles to discover new blocks. And by solving these, you add to the blockchain and the miners are rewarded with a few Bitcoins for having solved it. However, it's not like Jennifer and I are going to sit down and start mining and trying to solve these mathematical puzzles. The computers used are typically very fast and very, very expensive computers. There's a couple. One is called Application Specific Integrated Circuits, or ASIC, and there's even more advanced processors, graphic process units, and the more that you're paying for these computers, the more you can earn because it's faster But you can imagine that if that's the only way that you're going to get it is having a faster computer, other people are also getting these faster computers. Right now, the number of Bitcoins around the world is about 21 million as of July of 2020. And Bitcoins are released ahead of time. So or they're announced the release is going to happen ahead of time. So they might say in October, we're going to release so much or by the end of X year, we're going to release so much, which is, again, just the exact opposite of how currency works in most countries where their standard is to release currency based on the rate growth in goods. So sort of the interest rate that 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 country is operating under where Bitcoin says "Eh, we're going to release this amount on this day for this reason. Bitcoins are actually divisible up to eight decimal points. And you don't have to do the math on that. That turns out to be 100 millionth of a Bitcoin. Where did all of this come from? It's actually a bit of an unknown. And it seems almost inconceivable that an individual could create something like Bitcoin. There is, however, a name that has been attributed to the creator or creators of Bitcoin, and that is Satoshi Nakamoto. And so that is used since we don't know for sure if it was one person or a group of people. That name has just become kind of widely used to talk about the creator or creators who made Bitcoin. Started up with it. Yeah. Yeah. Investing in Bitcoin is extremely risky, though, because there are no guarantees unlike traditional stock where you're buying a piece of a company in some way. All of this is digital and the return on the investment is 
unknown because there's not something to specifically tie it to. You can't look at the returns on the company or the profit and loss on the company. If somebody wants to pay $1,000 for it and you are willing to take $1,000, that's the value of it today. So it's very in flux and it can change. You can, however, buy Bitcoin if you would like on an exchange. Because it's not regulated, it is loved by people that operate on the black market or trying to illegally launder money or even tax evaders. And it's not uncommon to have them involved in this. Governments try very hard to restrict or regulate the sale in some cases. And some countries even have tried to ban using cryptocurrency because there's just no tracking of who is buying it. All there is is numbers and your codes of of who's buying it. There's not specifically something taxable, especially with gains that can be specifically attributed back to a buyer. So I mentioned earlier that we we have invested in some different cryptocurrencies because there are multiple ones, as we mentioned. One of the things that you know we recognize that it is really volatile. It can easily go up and down and have these huge jumps and then huge losses. But based on like what we've seen with the past, it you know what we've seen so far, it tends to always go back up as it falls. We sell some, or sorry, as it falls, we buy some more, and then as it goes back up. We sell some. It's something that my my husband keeps a close eye on. It's not something that he does like a buy and hold situation for because it is so volatile. And that's just kind of how we we take a look at it. And just as another way to diversify our portfolio, something else to, to add to it. Bitcoin exchanges are similar to foreign exchange markets. The exchanges are just digital platforms where the currency is exchanged. One of the things that because it is anonymous. And because it is all about digital codes, if you lose your Bitcoin code, it's gone. So if your computer crashes and you had your codes in there, you have lost whatever it is that you've invested in Bitcoins. So you need to make certain to back up on a thumb drive or some kind of an external hard drive. And you want that to be physically away from your computer Part of that is because you can't hack into a thumb drive. And so you want to be able to keep that data safe. But if you want to be able to sell or trade your Bitcoins, you want to be able to keep it safe and losing it. And there are many stories on the Internet of people who have you know, lost their codes and those codes are not refundable and they're, they're not easy to, to get back. There was a story in 2013 Mr. James Howell lost 7,500 Bitcoins when his laptop was thrown away. I'm, I don't know. I'm guessing it was his company. I don't know what's going <laughs> on with that. But he now is literally trying to get permission to zig through five years worth of trash in this trash dump. Why is he trying to do that? Because at the time, that those Bitcoins were worth $56 million. And right now, based on the exchange rate, it's worth $75 million. It's in a dump somewhere. And it is not recoverable if you do not have the public code and the private code to be able to get that back. And it, it's not the norm to be able to lose your code. But if you do, you're not going to be able to recover your money. And that is absolutely gone if you can't figure out what your codes were. We mentioned the volatility of Bitcoin. And so here's an example. Bitcoin started out selling at 20 cents. It has jumped up as high as $20,000. And now around in the year 2020, it's about $10,000. There is nothing to back cryptocurrency like a standard commodity. So it can rise and fall almost kind of spastically. So again, talking about Bitcoins are 
scheduled in when these codes are released, the puzzles are released of when you can try and crack them. And currently, they are planning on continuing to offer these puzzles, these codes until 2140. So the year 2140, and then it will be capped there. I guess that they're not going to issue anymore is, is the plan on that. Hmm. So buying cryptocurrency is different than buying stocks or ETFs or bonds, those types of things. The difference is that they are not part of the financial industry regulatory authority, which is called, which is FINRA, which most stocks and bonds are a part of where cryptocurrencies are, since they're not stocks, those investments are not protected by FDIC or the Security Investor Protection Corporation. Just if something goes wrong, you're not going to be able to get your money back. Sort of like your bank, you're insured up to a certain amount of money. That's not going to be the case with cryptocurrencies. So this mining of cryptocurrencies, you know, we've been talking about computers and the computing program, the processing power that's needed. We're talking about enormous buildings with enormous amount of computers just running constantly. In Texas, their town of Rockdale was approached by some Chinese company that was asking them to set up a mining site and so was enticing them through financial gains to have them allow them to set up this site in the state of Texas. And I'm guessing maybe there was tax implications, but I don't know the answer to that. So the process continues it can eat up an immense amount of energy because these mining computers, you can imagine each computer is sort of like a microwave and it's using the same kind of amount of energy that a microwave would use. Okay, big deal. We have microwaves. Our homes are all safe and good. But these computers are running, thousands of them are running at the same time for 24 hours a day, seven days a week, because they are literally trying to solve these puzzles before someone else can solve them or find the puzzles before someone else can find them and then solve them. And that's like powering up to 400,000 homes at the same time. So it's just a, it's a big energy draw. And so it's not something that the average person can go do to try and find these things. And again, I mentioned that this Chinese company set up or tried to set up in Texas. Texas is a very hot and very humid place and maybe not the best spot for trying to set up a huge computer facility. So then in contrast to that, Iceland actually has the largest facility and it's called Enigma. A reporter claimed that it was the the loudest flashy lights. It was like being inside of a computer. They literally compared the rumbling of the hot springs that were going on around them in Iceland and the rumbling of what was happening inside this building. It's almost as if all of this was joined together, that it, it was just such a, a massive amount of power going on. And I think Iceland probably is a better climate for trying to run hot computers all the time. Basically, do your research when you're doing cryptocurrencies. Make sure that you have a high comfort level with it in, in anything you're purchasing. Make sure you have a plan for what it is you're buying. Why are you buying? What is its purpose in your portfolio of investing? I think a lot of people that I've spoken to tend to be purchasing it because they have that you know fear of missing out or FOMO thing going on. And it's okay to miss out on something if it's not the right thing for you. So if it's if it turns out that it, it's not a great place in your portfolio, it's okay. You can miss out on that. 
you know, Warren Buffett once said famously that you need to be fearful when others are greedy and greedy when others are fearful. So you're just going to have to decide for yourself, is this the best way for you to be investing your money and the best way for you to get a return on it? Anything else? Invest in what you know. Thanks for listening to Finance and Bitcoins. We know you chose to listen today and we're grateful. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe and share with others and consider leaving us a review because it helps bring financial education to others and helps them find us more easily. Please let us know what questions you'd like answered on our webpage at Finances and. We would love your questions because we're planning a listener episode. You can now find infographics on these topics on our website and here in our show notes. Finances and does not provide tax or legal advice and nothing in this podcast is to be construed as such. Always consult a tax, accounting or legal professional for advice on your specific situation. Remember, I went to school so you don't have to. 